Hello and welcome to Movement, a weekly podcast for South Aussie Baptists to listen and imagine together. Each fortnight, Melinda Cousins interviews a leader from within our movement and then asks them to share one of their recent sermons with us the following week. So I previously had a chat with Beth Hoy, who's the Next Generations Facilitator with Baptist Churches SA, and I asked her if there was a sermon that she could share that we could uh, share with you. So Beth, can you tell me a little bit about the context of when this sermon was preached and and where? So this sermon I preached only a few months ago at my home church, which is Parkside Baptist Church, and I was um, privileged to be asked to open a new sermon series, and the eldership had decided they wanted to do some teaching around the church as family. And particularly because in our culture, family can mean so many different things that can be often a loaded term. And so they wanted to return to scripture and look at what the Bible talks about, what it means for the church to operate like family. And so it was based in Colossians chapter three, and I was doing the introductory sermon. Excellent. And why did you pick this sermon to share with us? So I am a big believer in the power of intergenerational ministry and families in and of themselves by nature are intergenerational where no matter what age you are, where you come from, we care for each other and we have a concern and an investment in each other's lives. And I think if we're going to do intergenerational ministry well, if we're going to see the whole community of God concerned about the development and formation of their young people, then we need to have kind of that family heart. And in this particular sermon, my kind of crunch point is that church coming into the gathering of people should feel like coming home, that it, we're more us than we can be in so many ways anywhere else in the world and we really need to be sure that we're allowing church to be that space and I think that's something that's going to be really important for young people to feel like they belong in the family of God. So here's Beth Salmon, I hope you're encouraged and challenged by it. Good morning everyone. I always feel like saying, how are you? But then that's ridiculous. I can't start 75 different conversations. So we'll save that for later. So uh, my name is Beth, if I don't know you. And uh, it's my privilege to bring the word to you all this morning. This week, we are starting a new series. So we've just finished up last week our series on 1 Peter, where we were looking at the theme of um, us as, as exiles. And uh, I feel that will actually kind of lead into, well, what I, what I feel God is calling me to say today. This new series we're going to be doing over four weeks and it's on um, the church as the family of God. We'll be speaking uh, from a passage in Colossians chapter 3. So what does it mean for the church to be the family of God? The eldership felt it would be helpful to do a series based on this theme because um, it's really important that we as Parkside Baptist Church are being the community that God has called us to be. And the analogy that the Bible comes back to over and over again is this analogy of us as the people of God operating like a family. Unfortunately, that analogy of family can sometimes come to us loaded with our own experiences of family and not everybody is blessed to have great experiences of family. Some people come from broken families, fractured families, some people come from abusive backgrounds and 
Um, and so when we hear the word that the ch- like family and the church should be as family, uh, we can misunderstand what that is supposed to mean. And so we thought it would be helpful to immerse ourselves in the word and really come to understand what the Bible means when it says we should operate as family. I'm going to do it without my timer, not a net. So if I'm speaking for too long, everyone just start waving at me. And don't do it now because you'll break my heart. <laughs> Okay, so let's have a look at the passage. So I'll be speaking on Colossians. So we're we're based in Chapter 3 for this whole series and I'll be speaking on the first four verses. I'm speaking from the NIV. If you would like to follow along in your own translation, please feel free to do that. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Today in my passage, Paul seems to be talking, um, referring to these two different places, two different worlds, the things above and the things below. We are to fix our hearts and minds on one place and not on the other. And we can often feel like, uh, as followers of Jesus, that we are stuck in between these two places. We are stuck in between these two worlds. And we can often feel like aliens in our own world because of that. This is a theme that comes out through the Bible over and over again. Jesus speaks of this, that we are in the world but not of the world We've just finished a whole series on us being exiles, that we are like strangers in a foreign land. And what I feel God was calling me to speak on today from this passage is what church should be like for believers when the world makes us feel like we are outsiders. What is church supposed to be to us when the world wears us down and makes us feel like freaks, like we don't Belong. And I think the church should feel like coming home. Belonging to the people of God should feel like coming home. So to unpack this further, I want to paint a picture for you, okay? So imagine in your mind you've been out of the house for a whole long day, okay? Whatever it is that takes you out of the house for a long day. Maybe you've been at work. Maybe you've been running errands. Maybe you've been volunteering, studying. Maybe you've even been at church, okay? But you've been out of the house for a long day and you come home at the end of that day and you know that you're in for the night and you're ready to settle in. I wonder what are the few of the things that you would do when you walk in the door to begin the process of unwinding and relaxing? We usually have a few things. I want you to actually turn to the person next to you and discuss what are a few of the things, if your spouses break apart, go find other people because you'll know each other well enough, not forever, just this moment. (laughs) What are a few of the things that you would do to relax and unwind? Turn and I'll give you a minute to discuss that. I'm 
Okay, hopefully that's long enough for for you to get to know that person just a little bit more. Hopefully we feel like we understand each other a bit better now. When I come home uh, at the end of a long day, I... I'll come in the door and I'll instantly kick my shoes off. Anyone take off their shoes? I feel 100% more relaxed when I, I'm not wearing shoes. In fact, most of the time you'll notice the shoes that I do wear are barely shoes at all. Um, and that's just a way that I feel comfortable. Um, when I am home, when I come home, I am in a place where in so many ways I'm more me than I'm able to be anywhere else in the world. I'm amongst people, I am in a place where I am loved, where I am accepted, and I am understood for exactly who I am. And because of that, I can let loose and I can be free. And what I do is I will change my clothes. So who changed their clothes? Anybody? Yep. Okay. I feel like that's probably quite a common one. I will go and I will find the most ridiculously stretchy pair of horrible old leggings that I can find, and I have several pairs. And I'll put those on, and then I will put on my comfy jumper. Now, I have actually got my comfy jumper here. And to prove to you that you guys are my family and that I know that you love me and accept me for who you are, I'm, in fact, going to wear my comfy jumper for the remaining of my sermon. Gary, a couple of weeks ago, dressed as he feel comfortable. Um, there's a picture in the signpost if you've forgotten what that looks like, so I figured I could do the same. So here we go. Comfy jumper. It's mostly clean. <laughs> All right, notice rolling the sleeves. This is habit. What do you think? All right. This, I've had this for, I think, around 12 years. <clears throat> uh, it is not a female jumper. It is, in fact, a man's jumper. It's not even my husband's jumper. It's actually my little brother's jumper that I stole out of his room when he was about 19 uh, because I was cold one night and I loved it so much, it was so comfortable, I've kept it and he's never got it back. I actually said this to him recently, I was like, you know, I've still got that jumper and he's like, keep it. <laughs> like, it was a horrible old jumper then, so 12 years later. But, and yet, I feel totally comfortable to wear this around uh, you guys, of course, my husband and my children, because I know that they love me anyway. Right? And when you can receive love when you're wearing this jumper, you know you're amongst true love indeed. As followers of Jesus, to be amongst the people of God is to be amongst people who get you. It is to be around people who see you for who you really are. And that feeling should be so freeing that coming into this community of God should feel like coming home. There should be something so comforting about that. And I don't mean comforting as in you can kick around in your ugliest old things. Or you could, I wouldn't care if you did, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about internally who we are. Our soul should rejoice. Our soul should feel free when we are around the people of God. So let's begin to unpack this passage to understand how I've come to this point, what I think Paul is actually saying about the church through this passage. So we know that this book is written by the Apostle Paul, written to the Colossian church, who were a very young church in a hostile culture. They found themselves, well, they didn't find themselves, they emerged as a church in a culture that was contrary to the teachings of Jesus and the practice, the Christian practice of the church. 
not just contrary, that you get the feeling that it is in fact hostile and we know through history that many of these churches were heavily persecuted for being followers of Jesus. And through reading the text, you get this feeling that the church is feeling worn down by the clash of these worlds, that they are feeling tired, they are feeling worn down and worn out. And in fact, some people in the church already seem to be compromising their faith because of what the pressure they're experiencing from their surrounding culture. So I've got here um, from Chapter 2. So we've read from Chapter 3 and we'll be based in Chapter 3 for the rest of the series. But I went back to Chapter 2 and I had a look at some of the things that uh, Paul outlines that the church are experiencing, these things that are making them feel worn out. Sorry for that being so small. He says that they're not to be deceived by a hollow philosophy and convincing arguments. Or another translation says, well-crafted arguments. So there's this feeling that uh, they're being talked at a lot and told that they've got it wrong and they're being sold very flashy philosophies that um, are beginning to make a lot of sense to them. And they're experiencing this on a daily basis. He says that they shouldn't let them be judged for how they live, how they eat, uh, what they eat and what they drink. Uh, for not attending the religious festivals, and religious festivals were extremely important in these cultures. Everyone would notice if you didn't attend them. And so obviously they were receiving a lot of pressure for not going to those things because of the call that Jesus had placed on their life. This one I find fascinating. He says that these other people, they delight in false humility and they brag about their religious experiences, puffing themselves up. So you get the sense of people who are very confident in the way that they live and are trying to show them, in fact, that the Christians have it completely wrong. We have it completely right. Let us show you how. And all of these things that the church are surrounded by, they're they're experiencing this on a daily basis and it's pressing in on them on all sides. And as a result of this, they are feeling like strangers and outsiders and aliens in their own culture. And this is very tiring. But I wonder if you can actually relate to what it is the church is going through here. I wonder if you can relate to that feeling where have you ever been made to feel like your choice to follow Jesus has put you on the outside, that your choice to follow the call that Jesus has placed in your life, that has actually made you a freak in the eyes of the people around you or or sort of at the best we're kind of amusing, it's kind of laughable, and at worst we're an enemy to the culture around us. I know I can relate to that. I know I've had times in my life where I've definitely felt that and I can understand that feeling of being worn down by the culture around you. But Paul lumps all of these things together at the end of chapter 2 and he labels them a false spirituality that belongs to this world. All of these things that are happening, all of these things that the surrounding culture are pressing on you at all sides, this is not truth. This is, in fact, a false spirituality and it belongs to this world. And in saying this, Paul's saying, well, of course you're going to feel like strangers because you, you do not belong to this world anymore. 
of course you're going to feel outsiders because you are, in fact, outside of what is going on amongst this false spirituality. Paul says, in fact, we are hidden somewhere else entirely. So if we are hidden outside of this false spirituality, then how do we cope with this, this feeling worn down? Well, how did the church cope? What did Paul say to the church to help them to cope? He said, and I go back and read the passage I read earlier, just part of it, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul says that we are to set our hearts and set our minds on the place where Jesus rules where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. We are to set ourselves in the kingdom of God. We are to make a conscious decision daily to enthrone Jesus. Okay, These words that Paul uses, set your heart, set your mind, they are active words. This isn't passive. It's not just, yep, I'm a believer and then just do whatever you want for the rest of your life. This is a daily decision to set yourself in the kingdom, and to choose to enthrone Jesus in your life. What Jesus holds on to, this spirituality, this is truth. What the world holds so dearly and what they puff themselves up about, this is in fact a false spirituality. And if we are fixing our minds on that false spirituality, then eventually it will wear us down. Eventually it will consume us. This is why this is a conscious decision because this world is in fact under a completely different regime to us. This world is under the reign of sin. This is their spirituality. And under the reign of sin, they don't just have one ruler that sits on the throne. They have thousands because we all know the things that People worship, whether or not they know they're worshipping, the things they put on the throne. We all know the things that we have been tempted to worship and put on the throne of our life. Things like work, power, money, sex, relationships, addictions, hobbies, experiences, insecurities, image, clothes, music. Some of these things are laughable, it seems, but it's all been done before. These things have all sat on the throne before and whatever is on the throne of the false spirituality, that thing will control your life. That thing will dictate the way you live and the way you behave. And all of these things are empty and they are peace-sucking gods. Okay, I'll say that one again. They are empty, peace-sucking gods. Because nothing in this world is capable of sitting on the throne apart from Jesus. Nothing in this world is worthy of that throne. And if we are fixed in this place, right, not even as just people coming under the reign of sin, but even as people followers of Jesus, we can focus on how hard it is to be outsiders. We can focus on what it is we're missing out on, what it is we're sacrificing. And if we have fixed ourselves in that place, then it will wear us down. It will wear us out. 
Paul is saying, don't fix your mind on the false spirituality. Don't fix your mind on the place below. We are to fix our hearts and to fix our minds on the place where we truly belong. And that is to the kingdom of God. In fact, we died to that former kingdom. This is what Paul says in verse 3. Sorry? Yes? 3. He says, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, who is your life, then you will appear with him in glory. This one baffled me when I was prepping this sermon. Like hidden in God. Do you remember a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, possibly even Gary did a sermon where he was talking about what it means to be transformed by the gospel. And he used the line from Amazing Grace, the I once was lost but now I'm found. Do you guys remember that? And he said we've got to put our own little blank, right, because all of us have had something that we once were that we are now not because we have chosen to follow Jesus. I once was something and now I'm this. I once was that and now I'm this. And just give you a second to kind of reflect because he did ask us to fill in that blank. What, what was the words that you put in there? I once was what and now I'm what. Don't have to answer it out loud. When, when Paul says that we died, what he's saying is that person who you once were, the person who was under that regime of sin, that person has in fact died. Stop breathing, no more life, it is living no more. That person is dead. And now, as we are raised, again, we are raised in an entirely new kingdom. We are hidden in an entirely new place. Because when Jesus is on the throne of our life, every perspective changes. When Jesus is on the throne of your life, everything will change. So we have died from sin, we have raised again, and we are now hidden in a completely different kingdom that this world does not see and cannot acknowledge. We are under a new mission. We are under a new king. And all of a sudden, all of those same things that once were on the throne in the old kingdom, work, power, money, relationships, experiences, hobbies, image, when Jesus is on the throne of those things, those things will become transformed. The way we operate at work, the way we want to do our work, the way we view power and wield power changes, the way you use your money, the way we operate in relationships our hobbies, our experiences, the way we think about ourselves, all of these things change and become transformed when Jesus is on the throne. And the people around us, they will notice that. But until they understand that Jesus is king, they will not understand it, not entirely. We will be as strangers to them and part of us will always be hidden because of this different kingdom we belong to. Hidden not because we hide away. Paul is not telling us to hide ourselves. That would contradict so much of the rest of his teaching because Paul and Jesus, they spend so long telling us how we're supposed to shine before the world. We are never supposed to hide our light. But what he's saying is the nature of these two kingdoms means part of who we are will always be hidden until 
they acknowledge Jesus as king until Jesus is on the throne of their life too. And yet we know that uh, the kingdom is not separate from our world, right? The kingdom is, Jesus is not distant. The kingdom is not separate. We know that Jesus established the kingdom when he died and raised again. He established himself as king and he brought the kingdom here. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is now. Because the kingdom is come whenever his followers proclaim him to be king. Do you hear that? He is king here. He is king now. Parkside Baptist Church, we are the kingdom here and now. That's exciting. When we are here... We are not hidden anymore. When we are here, we are amongst our brothers and sisters because we all have joined together and proclaimed Christ as our King. As you look around this room, you will see your true eternal brothers and sisters because we understand each other in a world, in a way that other people just can't. Because we enthrone Him. This place where the kingdom comes here and now, that place is church. Not because of this building, not because of crosses on the wall, right? I'm not against buildings, I'm not against crosses, but that's not what makes a church. The church is the people. Throughout history, throughout the world, those of us who choose to enthrone Jesus, we are the church and we are the kingdom because we have called Christ our King. And when we are here, we are no longer defined by the things that divide us. We are defined by the name that unites us. Okay, I want to say that one again because I love it. We are no longer defined by the things that divide us. We are defined by the name that unites us. And when we are defined by him, we can love each other with a divine love that comes from beyond our broken human nature. This is home. And yet we know that there are times when church doesn't feel like home. Throughout history, throughout the world, throughout our own experiences, we have seen time and time again when broken people within churches, we still fail each other. And for some reason, sometimes that causes people to write off this beautiful blessing that is the church. That's not what we're supposed to do. The church is a gift. It's not perfect. It will be one day Jesus will come back again and we will be perfect and then there won't be these two worlds. We will all be in the kingdom. That's going to be a glorious day. But for now we will hurt each other. We will fail each other. We experience the unforgiveness, the judgment, the hurt, the rejection. We know friends that have experienced it and don't really know what to do with that. So how do we reconcile those things? If this is the kingdom come, why is it that we experience this failure? I want to answer that by asking this question. Have you ever been tempted or have you ever brought your old self to church? That one who died, the I once was, that person, have you ever brought that person to church? I know I have. 
When I've brought that Beth to church, she does damage. Because Beth, that old Beth, she's selfish. And she's lazy and she's insecure. And when we allow those things to sit on the throne of our life, we will hurt each other. How good it is that we love a gracious God who forgives these things. And that we, as we look around each other and we see Christ, we will learn to forgive each other. Because this is the problem when we bring the old into church. The old wants to destroy and divide. The enemy comes to kill, steal and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. That's John chapter 10. The old regime seeks to divide and Jesus will seek to unite. And we have to be really careful when we come into this sacred place to set our minds and set our hearts on who we truly belong to. We have to ignore the old. We have to cast off the old. Next week we're hearing Connor speak for the first time. I'm really excited about that. And he's going to be talking about that, what it means to cast off the old. But it's still a conscious decision to set our mind and cast off because the old will lie to us. The old regime will say things like, you just need to cut people loose the second they become inconvenient. You haven't got time for that. Life is complicated. Inconvenient people, not worth it. Cut them loose. Whereas Jesus says we are to embrace each other, to make space for each other despite our differences. The old regime says people have to earn your forgiveness and grace. They have to be worthy of it. Shouldn't just be handing that stuff out. They have to show that they're humbled enough to receive it. Jesus says we forgive 77 times 7, and that's not a maths equation, people. That is forever. Doesn't matter how many times brokenness comes our way, we forgive each other because that's what Jesus has done for us beyond anything we can ever imagine. The old regime, they think they're really inclusive and they preach this message of tolerance. You know, I hate the word tolerance because it suggests that we just have to bear through one another. You tolerate each other. Do the bare minimum until you can move on to the people who really get you, right? Tolerance is not grace and love that comes from Jesus. Jesus does not tell us to tolerate each other. He tells us to love each other other and how often do we just tolerate our brothers and sisters this is the kingdom and it doesn't happen because we're fabulous we are broken it happens because we set our minds on the only one who can truly transform us not us him so here's my question When you came to church this morning, did you set your mind on the kingdom? Is Jesus on the throne of your heart this morning? Because if he is, as you look around this room, you will see people that we are called to love eternally, divinely. 
And when we know how to love each other that way, this will feel like home. You will walk through these doors and you will be more home than you have ever been before. This is our home. This is our eternal home. The kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. Parkside Baptist, we are participating in the eternal kingdom work. Do we believe that? Do we live like that? I want to give us just a second to reflect and I can maybe encourage you to close your eyes just to cut out distraction. I want to humble myself by saying I am just I'm just a mouthpiece. I've been praying that the Spirit would speak to us this morning and I want to ask you as you reflect in your heart, what is the simple truth that the Spirit is speaking to you this morning? might not be even something I've said. It might come through the worship or a word or a prayer. What is the simple truth that the Spirit is speaking to you this morning? What does it look like for you to choose to enthrone Jesus today? Let me pray. Precious Father, I want to praise you. You are not a distant God, that your spirit, your love, your blessing flows through each and every one of us. Lord, we long to be the church that you have called us to be so that the world might know that you are king. I pray, Lord, that you, whatever that simple truth that you, Spirit, have spoken to us this morning, that we will allow that to go deep into our hearts and not to just fall off the second we stand up and walk away, but to stick, to prune, to transform that we might be a people that proclaim you as our king, that might love each other despite our differences. And, Spirit, we pray that you would do what we cannot do. Forgive our brokenness, overcome our shortcomings. May we be like you, not as individuals but as a people. May we be your body, the body you have called us to be. Amen. Thanks for listening to Movement Today. If you enjoyed this show, then please take a second to give us five stars, tap subscribe and tell a friend. We are available wherever you get your pods. Movement is a podcast from Baptist Churches SA, hosted by Melinda Cousins and produced by Ruth Grace and Kathy Turner. We'll be back next week with a sermon from today's guest.